Welcome to In Process, the NC Dance Festival podcast. I'm Ann Morris, Festival Director. Each week on this podcast, we dive deep into the risk-taking and dance-making that characterize the modern and contemporary dance community in North Carolina. This season, we'll be guided by the question, what does the North Carolina dance community need to thrive? Our conversations this season start with dance and the creative life, but spill into all aspects of our community as we connect, revitalize, and dream together. We're glad to have you along for this journey. In Process is sponsored by Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist Performing Arts Medicine Clinic. Whether you're a dancer, musician, vocalist, or artist, Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist's new Performing Arts Medicine Clinic is designed to meet your needs. We understand your unique demands and want to help you get back to dancing, playing, singing, or painting. Our performing arts medicine program includes physicians, physical therapists, and certified athletic trainers with specialized knowledge and training. Our program is one of very few in the country. Many of our program providers are also dancers and artists. To schedule an appointment with Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist, call 336-716-3286 or visit wakehealth.edu slash performingartsmed. Join the North Carolina Dance Festival for our next Virtual Dance Discovery Club on Thursday, March 10th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. as we delve into dance, like a book club, but for dance. Participants will watch and discuss short dance works, finding new ways to appreciate and explore the world of dance, and build new connections with a wider community of dance lovers and dance professionals. Whether you have years of experience with dance or none at all, you are welcome in this group. This is a safe and informal environment to watch dance and connect with others. For this session, we will be watching and discussing dance by Greensboro choreographer Amelia Bird. Want to attend? The program is limited to 20 participants, so reserve your spot today. We'll put a link in the show notes or visit danceproject.org ncdf. This week, I have the pleasure to speak with four Greensboro-based artists, Princess Howell Johnson, Melanda McGinnis, April Parker, and Alexandra Joy Warren. We have an honest discussion about what is needed locally and nationally for Black artists to thrive and the structural barriers that Black artists have faced and continue to confront and overcome. We got so into the conversation that we've split it into two episodes and we'll share the second half next week. In the first part of the conversation, we talk about the ways these artists create spaces for and by Black artists and how their feelings about that work have shifted over the years. We also speak on the importance of who is in the room when decisions about funding, artistic opportunities, and more are on the line, and the ways that efforts like the Black Creatives Revival can support Black artists. Here's part one of the conversation. Well, welcome to all of you for being here. I'm really excited to have such an amazing group of people in this conversation. Um, We have Melinda and Princess and Alex and April. And I really want to hear from each of you. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about um, who, who you are and what you're working on in the world these days um, and anything else that you'd like to share about, about yourself right now. Melinda, you want to start us off? Sure. I am Melinda McGinnis and I teach intro to dance at Winston-Salem State University. I also teach a lot of classes for a dance project and um, really just facilitate yoga and wellness in the Greensboro community. I'm also the rehearsal director for Joy Movement Dance Company. Thanks for being here, Melinda. Alex, you wanna pick it up next? Sure, Um, so I'm Alexandra Joy Warren and I'm the founding artistic director of Joy Movement Dance Company. 
Um, I also am an assistant professor at Elon in the music theater program, uh, where I do a lot of directing and choreographing um, musicals. And um, yeah, I'm a mom of two. <laughs> uh, I keep forgetting that my daughter just turned nine, which is like, ah, um, but she's nine. And I have a son who's going to be seven on Saturday. Um, and I'm also a wife and uh, so many other hats. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks for sharing some, some of your many hats that you wear. Um, Princess, why don't you go next? Hi, I'm Princess Johnson, founder of Royal Expressions Contemporary Ballet. Um, I also am a wife and mom, a new mom. I, in addition to being passionate about dance, I'm an advocate for fertility and also for mental health. Those are the things that um, make me happy, just encouraging people to live their best life and go after their dreams and get everything that is owed to you. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Princess. And April. Hi, um, April Parker, she and her. I am uh, a local troublemaker. I'm getting older, so it's, you know, different these days. But right now, currently, I am also the managing director at Elsewhere Museum. Um, I've created in my journey of art administration, um, the Black Creators Revival, which is a space of, uh, the intersections of art activism and organizing and black creative spaces. Um, and so, yeah, so just between organizing and elsewhere, I've worked with everybody on the call and I'm so thankful for the vets um, who have welcomed me into the field. So thank you all. April, you mentioned this in your introduction and, and you know, in, in reading bios of you as well, I really was struck by the, by the phrase, architect of black spaces. Um, and I, I think, you know, knowing, knowing all of you and how you're, some of the ways that you're engaged in the community, you know, I see that all of you are really involved in that work too, in creating spaces by and for black artists. And, and so in thinking about this conversation, I really wanted to, to hear, hear your voices and hear um, hear your take on the, the question that we're sort of tackling with this, the season of the podcast, which is, you know, what does the dance, the North Carolina dance community need to thrive? And we've talked to a lot of different people that inhabit different roles in that community. So we've heard lots of answers to that question, but also, you know, we recognize that, that there's not a one size fits all answer. Um, and so, I mean, of course, without expecting that you would, any of you would speak for all black artists, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what thriving might look like to you. Are there things that black dance artists or black creatives need to thrive that might be distinct from the needs of the dance community or the creative community when we think of it as a whole? Um, yeah, I love that question um, because um, I think that uh, what we have in common, all of us on this, on this podcast or episode or call is that um, we all kind of see a need and we're, we're ready to meet that need. Um, we're not sort of waiting for someone else to create that. We know that <laughs> we wanna see the change, we have to do it, right? And so I think for me, um, 
you know, I mean, it started out a little bit selfish in that when I when I moved from New York and had been working in a certain way, um, I just felt um, I longed for um, a space to create and and perform the work that I had been doing, work that was socially justice focused and um, work that really spoke to my lineage, my history that I could really connect with, not on just a physical level, but like an, on an intellectual level. And um, I wasn't um, able to kind of access that. And so that was what sort of pushed me to go ahead and do the thing I never thought I would do, which is start my own company um, just out of the need. And um, of course, um, I, I got pregnant with my son like immediately <laughs> after starting the company. And so the first year I really wasn't, um, uh, some dancers are really talented and they can dance like the whole time they're pregnant and just like flying in the air. I was not. <laughs> Moses had me on bed rest and all kinds of things. And so um, I, I really didn't dance the first year of the company, but it really pushed me as a choreographer. Um, especially not being able to always demonstrate everything with my own body. And that was actually a, a blessing. Um, and so, um, you know, just being able to create an environment that um, all these really talented um, artists who are sort of making that uh, transition from a college education, maybe, or just being out in the field period, um, and having a space where they didn't have to feel like I have to leave, I have to go to another city in order to work. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, sort of um, how race plays into that is really interesting for, for Joy Movement. Um, when I put out audition flyers the very first April of 2014, um, everyone that showed up looked like me <laughs> in terms of who came into the audition. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, you know, I think marketing is a whole interesting thing, but I, I put a picture of myself on the flyer and, you know, <laughs> so what can I expect? Right. But I also was bothered by that. Um, and I, I, I was bothered by the fact that other people, when I, when I know that um, there's a, an, a huge community of diverse uh, multi, you know, racial backgrounds um, in, in the city um, weren't showing up. And, and what does that mean, right? And so it took some time, but I think finally people understood that this company is for all of us. Um, and, and I think now um, our company sort of more looks like what the city looks like um, and it changes over time. But um, that's sort of always been my goal is to not only create a space for people that look like me, of course, but also for, for everyone that, that wants to be in that space, that feels interested in the type of work that I am. And I think that that says a lot about our city and, and where we're growing and what we're trying to do. So, um, yeah, I just think that, um, you know, creating that space that kind of explores the work that I'm hoping to continue to explore is really the like you know the rallying cry to to doing all of this work for me. I find it interesting about your your very first auditions. Um, my very first auditions attracted white people and I was shocked and I'm like that's strange but the name of my company has ballet in it. And I'm pretty sure that's why. Um, so our first two years, 
my company was predominantly white. I only had one black dancer, um, which was very interesting to me. Um, and then um, I had a year where there were mostly black dancers and then we went on hiatus. And when I recreated, revamped uh, us and reintroduced us, I didn't try to push for anything different. Um, we went back out there and um, this was post Misty Copeland has come. Uh, we had Alicia Graf Matt coming. We were starting to really embrace um, that we're black at this point because starting my company, I didn't want to be a company that was just, oh, oh, blackity, black, 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 like never my intention. I just wanted to be a black woman who started a dance company who was creating things about human experiences. Um, and I was very oblivious to like racial um, inequities and um, institutional racism, like very oblivious to it. I grew up in black spaces. I grew up around black excellence. I was never taught that blackness was a weakness. I was never taught that blackness could hold you back. Um, I truly believe like, oh, I'm gifted. I can do this. I know what to do. I had the training. I went, I went through X, Y, and Z. So this is, this is golden. We're going to be good. Um, and was has not been the case, not was not the case. It currently is still not the case that things have developed the way I imagined them. And it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of having experience. It really, really literally comes down to in North Carolina, the original question was what do we need to thrive? In North Carolina, public funding for artists, public funding for arts institutions, public funding, especially for places of, and spaces of dance, is going predominantly to white organizations and white artists. And we are literally getting scraps and leftovers just as slaves did. And it's really bothering that when you look across our state, we don't have an Alvin Ailey. We don't have a deeply rooted dance theater. We don't have a Dayton Contemporary Dance Company. We don't have a black institution of dance that is fully functioning and thriving in our state. And that is super problematic. Um, and I do, I want, I want to see that change um, in, our, in our state. Uh, so I just wanted to piggyback off of what Alexandra was saying. It, it is really odd when a black dance company puts ourselves out there, the responses that we get from the community and from the dancers in the community, knowing we have lots of dancers in our community, not to mention the number of people who show up to auditions. Uh, oftentimes we have to have several auditions just to fill our companies. And then we're, we're, we're gonna be paying less. We may not be paying at all in some cases, um, which for me, I, have, I no longer will do anything. If my dancers aren't getting a check, I'm not doing it. It's just, I can't, I can't see my dream happen. And I've had to, to accept that and, and just operate in that way so that people aren't constantly undervaluing us and devaluing us because they're like, they'll make it happen, it's fine. And then scrutinize the work and say it wasn't good enough. <laughs> that part, that part, Princess, like, I don't, 
no, let me, are you? No, girl, go. (laughs) Okay. Because like I said, I have notes, right? Um, So what we need to thrive, like in particular as a Black dancer, as a curator of Black spaces, like Princess, do you, I don't even know, like if y'all remember me being like the founder of the whole Black Choreographers Collective. Like I, when I moved here, I saw a void. And this was before I started working at at Dance Project. Um, I really just saw a void in who was getting to perform, particularly who was performing for North Carolina Dance Festival. And I couldn't understand, um, I was teaching at Carver, I was teaching dance at Carver um, High School in Winston. A predominantly black high school that had a dance program. And I put that in air quotations because we were dancing in the band room on those hard tile floors, had two classes. Um, they have a studio now. Every time we went to um, whatever the dance day is, they would always have um, white guest artists the guest artist, the we got a guest artist one year to come to Carver. And this is a person that I, I love this person. Like her choreography, I think is super, super interesting. I'm not gonna say their name, um, but they had no idea how to, at the time, work with black students. Um, I couldn't convince my students that modern dance was for them because they weren't being exposed to black dancers. Um, and so I started bringing my friends in. I brought in um, other people that I was dancing with because at the time I was dancing for Robin, Robin G at UNCG. And this was right before I started dancing for Dwayne. And so I was bringing in my friends that I danced with just so they could see other people who look like them um, and hear like, oh, I can do this if I want to do this. Like, even though like I'm quote unquote late to the party because I'm in high school and I'm just now starting to dance. And that was, I taught um, someone who's dancing in Atlanta right now. He's kind of a big deal. Like he was in my class. Like there was some exposure and there were some really good things that came out of that. And I'm, I'm always thinking like, and learning so much about like behind the scenes things. So like, for example, um, one of the things that I think that we need, like if I just had to put like my finger on it, on a thing that we need is to make sure that the adjudicators of things um, where people are being chosen are diverse, right? Knowing if you're adjudicator, everybody has like um, their unconscious biases, right? But knowing if those people's unconscious biases are going to create difficulty when it's time to choose who's showing up, right? Um, What we really want, I think, is for people to see our full humanity, right? So I might be able to, I could, I confidently feel that I could go to, as a dance critic, for example, I could go to a performance from, like if the if the dancers were Israeli, for example, and even if they're using traditional Israeli music with lyrics that I don't understand, I know what grief looks like. I know what joy looks like. I know what passion looks like. I know 
the full ranges of the human experience, right? And so I can write about those things just from seeing those through those lenses. I don't have to look through the lens of a black woman. I don't have to look through the lens of a queer woman. I don't have to look through the lens of a femme. I don't have to look through the lens of an 80s baby, right? I can see those things as just a human, right? And so I can write about them intelligently. And if there's something that I don't understand, I don't have to translate those things as bad or wrong or poorly done, which is what I keep hearing, honestly, when things are being adjudicated, right? So even before I became an adjudicator, for example, for French Festival, I'm and I might not, I don't know like what's going on with French this year, but for two years, I've been an adjudicator for French, right? And having to look at things, not even like not even through a body disabled, right? So I'm looking at what am I seeing? Not how, how would I do this, but just what do I see? And if you can't do that, then you don't need to be adjudicating things. If you if you're gonna look through the lens of, oh, well, this this leg isn't like you know, super high. And I think all dancers should be able to kick themselves in the face. If that's how you're looking at things, you don't need to be adjudicating, right? If you're, if you're looking at, you know, gestures that people are doing, if you don't understand the gestures because you're not Hispanic, you don't need to be adjudicating. It's in the people who choose adjudicators need to step outside the box and not choose their friends, right? Just because somebody has some extra letters behind their name doesn't mean that they're in a place where they can they can do that confidently because what we're learning right is that through institutional and systemic racism that there are people who have letters behind their name who are not qualified and do not want to be qualified to judge things appropriately they want to judge things through whatever lens they see through they see things through and that's it so i think that you know some of the ways that we need to that we can provide experiences for fairness is to really look at who are the people who get to choose who have what experiences and who, who don't want to include certain things, who have unconscious biases that all ballet dancers are white or that all dancers are thin or that all dancers are able-bodied. Like who, you know what I mean? Like, am I, am I, making, am I making sense? Okay. I'm learning a lot, me personally. <laughs> Absolute sense. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice because I, 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 my kid who's now a freshman at ANT has been able to grow up in the programmings that, um, particularly Melinda and Joy Movement have offered. And I'm like, I'm learning so much on the podcast. So thanks for, thanks for this because I didn't know, I wouldn't have known um, the ins and outs again. So I'm not going to talk about specifically dance. I think obviously the experts have already made it clear. Um, but I am gonna say um, black artists need healthcare, black artists need reparations, black artists need benefits. <laughs> and uh, what I'm seeing now, um, right, it, it, what I'm hearing is that you all are naming and experiencing these voids that you have had to probably with a nickel and a prayer um, pull together these dream makings. And so when I take a step back and I look at, about that in, in, in like a structural framework, uh, these things happen by design. So I just want to name that because I'm hearing that's something that you all have done for 
decades now, um, which is, and we, and we give great thanks and we're, we are beneficiaries of that labor, um, but you are resisting things that were put into place, you know what I'm saying? And so why, what black, what black folks, what black artists particularly need is there has to be some ownness. There has to be some ownership. Um, uh, and that is and not just performance arts, that's visual arts, that's, that, that, that's the arts world in general, that these voids were created, they are intentional, they are by design. Um, so I just wanted to kind of illuminate that. And if there's anything most urgent is to kind of, um, first of all, listen to black women and trust black women leadership. And what they're hearing is that these, these commonalities, it's like, great, but these women are probably exhausted um, from doing that labor that was not theirs to do, you know? And so I would say historically white institutions like elsewhere um, to leverage uh, their resources and their space and their social and political capital to support the initiatives because um, it is owed, it is due um, because we are beneficiaries. And I also just, uh, if you look across any industry in the arts, um, we are still having um, uh, segregation, I mean, integration as a model. And I think that, first of all, Blackness isn't necessarily just about skin color, it's about power. And so even though this is like beautiful melanated morning with you all, uh, but ultimately it is about power. And, and so when you have a black staff, but everybody at the head of your you know, organization is uh, in white leadership, what that does is it echoes what Melanda is speaking about, which is the devaluing of blackness, the devaluing. Um, it's like only, only by, um, uh, can we see you performing and we get to ingest what you're offering? Are you valuable? Um, only are you making me look good in my organization and getting your people um, to come into the building? Are you valuable to my entertainment? But there's ways and there's unique ways which um, uh, everybody has described from what I'm hearing this resiliency um, that black women can only offer. You know what I'm saying? It is something unique unto black women and femme folk, you know? And the moment that this industry starts to not just try to tr make a transaction with black women and black women leadership um, is the more that we can really start ironing, well, what is that? What do these multitudes of identities offer in leadership skills? You know, um, how did you make that pop? You know what I'm saying? With that hope and a prayer, um, that is something worth studying. And I think that uh, the, 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 the art industry can, it would benefit, it would behoove us <laughs> to get in line and to really lean into this expertise and name it as such, you know? Um, so yeah, I wanna say black artists, um, you know, if you are asking, particularly dancers, if you're asking people to use their bodies, then you must take care holistically of people's bodies. And so don't come around with some offering um, where there's no, you can't get any type of healthcare. I've noticed that people, um, we often use, uh, especially in social justice, like heightened social justice climates, we use cultural work to kind of make ourselves feel better. Um, even though I've seen people really expose uh, the evilness and the inequities 
in beautiful ways. And I really appreciate that. But um, I think that we as a black, uh, black community can kind of come together a little bit more. I think that's what we need and have a shared understanding between transactions and exploitation and evolution and transformation in the cultural work that we really wanna do. So I do think that as black people, we have to have a little bit of an understanding um, that they're not one and the same and, and collectively have that discernment, right? Of who, who, of who we, who and how we do the work because that that's the work. So that's how I feel. April, can you talk a little bit about, I think I was hearing in what you're saying, the, some of the ideas that were behind the black creatives revival efforts and, and collective. Can you talk a little bit about that program? And yeah, um, first, I want to shout out to Jessica Moss, uh, who actually uh, gave me my, the title of architect of black space. Uh, because as an artist, I was getting really curious. It's kind of like, well, where where is our institutional power? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I can say Joy Movement works out of here, Royal Expressions is here, but like they said, we don't have these larger entities that it's like, okay, this is where Black cultural work is birthed from in this space. And so, but I also wanted to be critical of, it's not because of lack of effort, and, and talent that these things don't exist is that general generational wealth has been disrupted. Our people have been robbed. Uh, you know, even redlining is still prevalent. Gentrification has now, it has transformed. And so there are these systems and these things in place um, and everybody here, even though you can't necessarily name it all the time, uh, you've all said that you've been affected by that. And so with the Black Creators Revival, I noticed uh, we were using a lot of performance art at the height of um, not only the most recent uprising, um, but it was also the height of the dual pandemic of sy systemic and institutional racism and COVID. And what I noticed is that we felt really comfortable as a community with exploiting um, like the gig mentality. I'll, be, I'll pay you 250 bucks, come, come dance here, come sing here. And, um, but these people were really hurting, you know what I'm saying? Like people are losing their jobs, we, you know? And so the, the, the cultural workers, the dancers and the performers were, were some of um, our most uh, heavily affected population with COVID, right? And um, I've noticed that we actually use art as like to make liberals feel good about themselves. Like we have the Black Lives Matter mural painted in the, um, but now it's kind of symbolic where it's run down, sketched over, ran over, ran through, and paint did not produce the power. Um, and so Black Creators Revival, um, and you all will get some more information hopefully about that. We're gonna be meeting again at Respite, Respite in the Round in Durham uh, um, for an annual convening. And the hopes of that is to place organizers who are also our, admin, our, our admins and dancers and, you know, painters and uh, artists of all kind. And so that if things go down to where you are working with an institution, uh, you are being oppressed or is, there is an injustice and you might live in a rural area or some area that doesn't have the cult uh, culture, because I can call all three of these uh, beautiful women um, anytime that something goes down with me, but I, we want to make sure that everybody kind of has that community. And so it's kind of like if the dance project didn't honor 
all of these black people um is that somebody that we want to invest in you know what i'm saying and we have to kind of come together and have those understandings of basically who's with us and who's not with us and that's we have to be really clear about that right now and so black creative revival gives us a time and space um periodically to come together um, to share that information, to share those war wounds, and then kind of being really clear about um, what we can be working collectively and also what we can kind of stay away from that might um, dilute some of our collective power. Um, and so I hope that uh, that space continues to uh, grow for those purposes, because it's basically like, you know, the artists needed to be organized. They already have all the brilliance. It's just somebody to kind of come in and help everybody, um, you know, make that space. That's all. Mm -hmm. Thanks for asking. I, I wanted to circle back um, to all of what you all shared because I think, um, I mean, so many things were sparked, but one thing to what Melinda was talking about and Princess in April is, um, you know, there's a conversation starting now about aesthetic equity um, in art. And um, I think um, someone I used to work with, um, Paloma McGregor, who also um, runs Dancing While Black and uh, Angela's Pulse, um, is, I think it's where the first time I started to see those conversations happening. And I was like, yes, that's exactly the way to explain what I, what is happening with, um, you know, your work and being reviewed and people, quote unquote, not getting it, especially when it has cultural context. Um, so I think we've all experienced that. And um and, you know, being able to share my work with so many different audiences, I've been blessed to see how differently they respond. I, you know, I can share the same work here in Greensboro and get one response, the same work at UNCG, get a different response, the same work at DPAC, <laughs> you know, with thousands of people and and people are laughing, crying, you know, like, and you're like, I'm like, I was like taken aback because I'm like, oh, they're getting it in a whole different way than I've even experienced other people. So um, I think that's just really important, a, a conversation to continue. And I like to see us talking about that more in North Carolina. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, April, like, yeah, <laughs> the things, health insurance, that has been a goal of mine for my company. Um, and, you know, it's really exciting when I see Black dance companies like Red Clay in Chicago being able to do that for the first time this year. You know, also Red Clay is getting space. They have space in Chicago, their own studio now. That's a goal of mine as well. Um, you know, um, being able to bring people on. And another thing that I think hasn't come up yet is sort of also an equitable uh, process for uh, grants. Um, I'm just going to say it, <laughs> sorry for stepping on toes, but um, I've experienced the very real difference between what are the uh, requirements in terms of um, matching funds and in terms of reporting and in terms of all the extra extracurricular activities that um, grants that support multicultural organizations versus not. And I've spoken up and, you know, this year, some of those were changed, but not for the groups that 
the, the grants are from multicultural organizations. And so I don't know who's sitting in the room making those decisions, but that has to be looked at. They can, cannot be exponentially harder or expect organizations like April said to who have who have been historically affected by um you know uh not being having access to funds to have more funds in order to get more funds so I think that um those are some of the other things that we we need um you know whoever whether you're black or whoever you know in the room advocating to make sure we're not creating undue circumstances for arts organizations as well so those are things that I think also are practical um, and also partnership. Um, lastly, partnership. Um, when you experience what it's like to be with an organization that has the funds, that totally gets what you're trying to do, who likes what you're trying to do, who wants to see the community engage in what you're trying to do, it's a totally different experience than trying to make magic with $2. You know, it, when you can see... Um, your project realized at the full funding that it requires, that's a whole different thing, you know? And, 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 you know, the more, and the more you realize, oh, I don't have to be okay with like a work light that just comes on and off as like my lighting, but I can have, you know, a full scenic design, full costume design, full, you know, all those things and really have my vision realized, um, that's what we need, you know? And that's that's the thing that I think is the huge, the biggest inequity as well, in terms of being able to have the quality of work that you want, you know? Cause we're not wasteful <laughs> at all. Like when we get the funding, I mean, we make so much happen with so little. So with organizations that have funding and want to support art, and see it fully realized, that's how we grow as a region as well. Thank you so much to Princess, Melanda, April, and Alexandra for joining me today. This is such an important conversation, and I can't wait to share the second half with you next week. We'll put links in the show notes to connect you with these artists, and so you can check out some of the creative things they're involved in. In the show notes, you'll also find the link to our website, danceproject.org ncdf, where you'll find information about upcoming North Carolina Dance Festival events like our March 10th Virtual Dance Discovery Club. From there, you can also join our mailing list and follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Dance Project Inc. and on Facebook at NC Dance Festival. Join me for the next episode of In Process, which will air March 3rd. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. This episode was produced by Dance Project. Thanks for listening. In Process is sponsored by Atrium Health Wake Forest Baptist Performing Arts Medicine Program. The North Carolina Dance Festival 30th anniversary is supported by the National Endowment for the Arts, the North Carolina Arts Council, Lincoln Financial Foundation, Kimberly and Mark Trebus, Stearns Financial Group, and Downtown Greensboro Incorporated. We need the support of individual donors and business sponsors as well to make possible the innovative work that North Carolina dancers are creating, bring students meaningful experiences with the arts, and strengthen the community through dance. To make a gift to the festival fund, please visit danceproject.org give. Thanks for your support.